Good morning. If you have your Bibles, open them up to 1 Corinthians. We are going to be talking today about living as the temple of God. You are the temple of God. And we're going to talk about living that. You should have been in our house when I was running some different title options uh, past, um, you know, past our, our family. Um, I wish I could remember the one that John came up with. It was really inappropriate, but it would have been fun. <laughs> this is a section of scripture that talks about sexual purity, sexual immorality, and um, specifically how, for a Christian, sexual immorality impacts the fact that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. I was um, reminded of this kid who comes home and he says to his mom and dad, um, what is sex? And the parents are like, oh my goodness, this is like so, we got to have this talk. I mean, it's in second grade. Oh, this is going to be so hard to talk about this. They, they do this whole big talk. And then he's like, no, no, I just want to know. It says sex. Do I write M or F? Like, what do I put in that box? And uh, I remember uh, just thinking about these things uh, when, we, when our, we were raising our family. And I could never imagine having, before I had kids, I could never imagine having an awkward conversation about this because I just felt like we're going to be so close. We're going to be talking about everything from the time my kids are two, like everything's going to be out on the table. And I remember in junior high having some conversations with my kids, not that we waited till then to have conversations, but in junior high I had a few conversations with my kids that were really awkward. <laughs> and I remember I felt awkward, and I'm like, if I feel this awkward, I'm sure they feel awkward. So my response was not to not talk about it. We just kept talking about it until it wasn't awkward anymore. Um, when it comes to the whole issue of sex, sex everything is backwards. The people teaching, talking, and experiencing it, are, that's all happening by the wrong people. Um, married people are not having sex. Unmarried people are. The church and Christians are ashamed and silent sometimes when they shouldn't be. The unbelieving world is bold and unashamed. The school system, the culture, the Internet are full of destructive voices on this topic. And the church and Christians often aren't speaking up. But here's the issue. The Bible's not silent. It is all over the place. And it starts in Genesis, goes throughout the whole Old Testament, and it's all over the New Testament. So the Bible's not silent, and we as the church and as Christians and you as parents, we are the ones who should be talking most about it. One of the things I think is funny is that, like, they talk about this stuff starting in kindergarten. And the kinds of things that they are teaching kids are so inappropriate and not age-appropriate. And all of it is destructive. And then you got parents who just stand back and they don't want to pollute their kids by talking about things. If youth group teaches on it, they keep their kids home. And I was just thinking about, it's like parents sometimes have a really wrong view of what is available and what's going on in their kids' lives. And I, and I know of this one situation where you got a kid who's completely addic addicted to pornography. Like this, this issue is overcoming his life. And his parents kept him home from youth group because they felt like they were protecting him. And I'm just thinking... There's absolutely nothing worse than what your kid is experiencing every day, and the voice they need, you are taking out of their life. You know, that's one thing um, in our family, um, you know, 
we, we, we talked to our kids about how to think about things all the time, and we didn't keep that part of our life a secret in our family. We didn't talk about it in an inappropriate way, but one time one of my kids figured out how to unlock our bedroom door, and so we had locked the door, and he unlocks the door, and he comes in, and we were just sitting talking. Nothing was going on, but I just said, listen, we locked that door for your protection, <laughs> and if you unlock that door and you come in this room, uh, you may be scarred for life. And he knew what we were talking about. Um, when our kids, when our kids were dating, we did everything possible from the time our kids were young to teach them what God said about this. And when they were dating, we were not passive. We didn't stand at a distance and let them do their own thing. We were fully involved. When our kids were engaged, like they're adults, we didn't stand on the sideline as they figured out well, how are we going to spend our time and where are we going to go? And we told them, you don't go to the same place. Like, don't go to each other's house. Like our kids, uh, one of our kids was married, had her own house. And we said, no, you don't go there and be alone with a person that you're dating. You're not married. She had her own house. She wasn't married. (laughs) When they were engaged, (laughs) yeah, I guess that's important. (laughs) That could be a problem. (laughs) Don't be alone with your spouse. We were fully engaged. We had our kids' locations on their phone. We would call them. If they were ever in a place together by themselves, we let them know that door might swing open any time. We, could, we, could, we had a key walk right into their house. And, uh, but I'll just tell you right now, <laughs> under no circumstances would I show up unannounced in one of my kids' lives because I might be scarred for life. You know, the Bible doesn't say sex is a bad thing. It says it's amazing, and it says it's good, and it talks about the right use of it. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, which is where we'll start um, in a couple weeks, it talks about marriage and how this is a good thing and it's supposed to work out in marriage. But in 1 Corinthians 6, the Apostle Paul starts talking about the misuse of something that God created. So let me read um, our passage from last week. And... And then we'll jump into this week, and I'm going to make one clarification. Every week I've got to make a clarification because I did or said something wrong. So we'll, we'll address that. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor pre- men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That passage provides incredible hope. We're not allowed to say those things in our culture. Counselors lose their license if they say to a person, it doesn't matter what your sin struggle is. God can free you and transform you and save you, and you are no longer a slave to sin. And that's true. And it's interesting that Paul makes this list of people who are not going to heaven. And somehow there's some folks, I'm not blaming you, it's probably how I said it, um, that got the idea that if you struggle with sin, you're not a Christian. Uh, no, Christians struggle with sin. In fact, 1 John 1, 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we are a liar, the truth's not in us. But because we confess our sins, God is faithful and righteous to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But it also says, 
If we say we know God and we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. So if you see somebody who um, they have grabbed a hold of sinfulness and they are full on living it out and they are happy and they feel good about it and they don't feel like it's wrong and it's just this unbroken sinful pattern in their life, we don't judge people's heart. We don't, can't always see everything, but we should not be telling those people they're Christians because the Bible says that when you live that way, that is not how a believer lives. Uh, believers hate their sin. Apostle Paul, the way I'm living, I hate. If you're a Christian and you're in sin, you hate it. You love it, you're not a Christian. And so that's what we need to bring to this passage. So maybe some people are confused because they were thinking I was saying believers can't struggle in sin. Or maybe people are confused because they've been taught to say, oh yeah, this is a homosexual couple and they're pastors and maybe they're Christians. No, they are not. When people know what God's word says and they teach it and they live in rebellion, those are not believers. There's a reason that Paul wrote this verse. And <laughs> let me remind you, God wrote it. So can Christians sin? Yes. Do we just live in unrepentant patterns of sin? No. Okay. Um, let's jump in here and read the passage for today. Um, 1 Corinthians 6.12, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who jo is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin that a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? And you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. I'm going to give you seven reasons. <laughs> I'm going to go quick, maybe. I'll give you seven <laughs> reasons. Or maybe three or four, and maybe we'll get some in a couple weeks. But I'm going to give you seven reasons why we should not be sexually immoral. Here's the first one. <laughs> and if, if I didn't click the slide, <laughs> let me just, let's just test this out, yell this out. What's the first reason we shouldn't be sexually immoral? <laughs> okay, there we go. Because <laughs> God says not to. Like, is that confusing? If God says don't do it, we don't do it. I mean, I hope we understand it. I hope we embrace it. I hope that we see God's goodness in it. But we don't have to see God's goodness. We don't have to understand when God says something, we do that. I used to tell my kids, you cannot go play in the street. And they might not understand, but it doesn't matter because I said no. And uh, by the time they learn, they'll be dead. Um, and uh, I used to try to help them with that. One time there was a dead squirrel in the street. I said, look, the dead squirrel, his guts are squished out in the street. 
And I said, uh, that dead squirrel didn't listen to its mom and dad telling it to stay out of the street. <laughs> okay, God said to. And that's the whole passage. See, I'm already almost done with point one. If you have your Bibles, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1 through 8. We're going to read a couple passages outside of 1 Corinthians um, this today. And this is one of them. This is an important passage. God is not unclear. He says some really important things in this passage. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1 through 8, it says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing and that you do so more and more. Our purpose is to please God. And then he says... For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. Okay, everybody wants to know God's will. What's God's will for me? And we, sometimes we act like he's hiding it, trying to keep it a secret from us. You want to know what God's will is for you? This is God's will. This is God's will for every person. Your sanctification that is your holiness. That is being called a saint, like what the Apostle Paul says in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, that we be saints, that we be sanctified, that we be separate from sin. And then he goes on, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like Gentiles who don't know God. So we don't just live for the desires of our flesh. So many people say, oh, sex is a natural thing. Everybody should do it. It damages you if you hold back your natural urges. No, we don't live by the lusts of our flesh. We are not controlled by our passions. That's actually something that changes when you become a Christian because non-Christians are controlled by their passions. They are slaves to sin. But the Holy Spirit comes into your life and the Holy Spirit battles against the desires of your flesh so that you will not do what you please. We don't just do whatever we want to do. We use self-discipline and we do what God tells us to do. And then he goes on. And he says, um, that verse 6, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. People say, oh, it's two consenting adults. Uh, there's, there's no, like nobody's being hurt here. Not true. Um, we're going to find out that when you sin, when you engage in sexual immorality, you harm whoever you are engaging in that with. You are, dis you are transgressing your brother. And here's the thing. God knows who you're going to marry. And if you're married, God knew who you were going to marry. And God intends that you be sexually pure for the person that you're going to marry. And so when you're sexually immoral with somebody, you are harming that person. And you are harming their spouse who they're not married to yet. Because God intends sex only to be expressed in marriage with the person that you're married to. So we're not hurting anybody. Yes, you are. You are hurting the person you engage in it with, and you are hurting their next spouse because you're taking something that is going to belong to them and that in reality does belong to them. It's one of the things we told our kids. Man, you blow it in this area, 
you are stealing something from the person that you will one day marry. And then you're going to bring this baggage into your marriage. He goes on, and, and this is something that people should pay attention to. It says, verse 6, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in the matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, Paul's saying God's going to take vengeance on people who sin in this way. And he solemnly warns them, not like Eli's dad. Hey, guys, not a good idea. No, they, they got aggressive. They were heavy-handed and said, don't do this. It's wrong. And then it says, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Sexual purity is a big deal, and God said so. Like, we know that, right? Like, that's not confusing? Okay, number two. Sexual sin is destructive and enslaving. It says here in verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Now, some people misunderstand what he's saying here when he says all things are lawful for me. He is not talking about sin. He's not talking about doing things that God said not to do. He's just saying in general, if God has not said it's wrong, everything is okay. Like we can, like, and, and Paul's going to talk about this in 1 Corinthians 8 when he talks about eating meat sacrificed to idols. And he talks about this all over the place where he just says, hey, you know, life's not like this bunch of rules. In fact, in uh, one of the epistles, it talks about people who forbid marriage and people who say don't eat this and don't eat that. And he just says that's a satanic doctrine. Like those things are not forbidden. We can eat anything if we're giving thanks for it. So this whole issue, uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 says, You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. One of the things that we told our kids when you're dating somebody, if you love them, you will stay away from them physically. You will not pressure them. Like our culture is like, we love each other so much, we can't stay apart. No. If you love people, you don't sin against them. You don't harm them. You don't, you don't harm their future marriage. That is not how you treat somebody that you love. When you love somebody, you encourage them toward righteousness and holiness and faithfulness before the Lord. And you do things that are in their best interests. So when I was teaching uh, youth, youth ministry, um, from the time kids were young and they came in, I just said, you guys shouldn't date. And if you do date, that should be defined like a healthy friendship between a man and a woman. Now, you shouldn't be touching each other. shouldn't be kissing each other. Um, if what would you do with somebody else's spouse? That's what you should do with the person you're dating. If you can't do it with somebody that you're not married to, if I'm married and I can't do it with another woman, then I shouldn't be doing it with somebody I'm not married to. So, yeah, sure, date. Have a healthy friendship. Uh, but don't start doing things you shouldn't do. So we had these two youth, four, four youth leaders. And they're both dating each other, and they're both engaged. And then they both break up, and they swap. So this guy was engaged to this girl, this guy engaged to this girl, and now they're engaged to each other the other direction. They were great friends. 
When that happened, there was no conflict in youth ministry. They stayed on staff. They invited each other to each other's weddings. You want to know why? Because they weren't touching each other. Um, this guy, when he's thinking, okay, uh, you were engaged to her, and now I'm engaged to her. He didn't look at her and go, but you were all over her. And, and how you would now feel about this, the fact that this guy was all over this woman you just married. See, there's all kinds of relational conflicts and difficulties that happen. And, and how many people do you know that invite their ex-boyfriends and girlfriends to their wedding? <laughs> like, nobody wants to see uh, this guy that was all over you at his wedding. But when those guys switched, the man looked at the other man and said, I'm really thankful for the way that you encouraged and loved and blessed my, my future wife. She grew. She was more spiritually faithful because of you. Thank you as his friend. And same thing. I'm so glad for what this guy learned about his relationship with the Lord and how to care about people and how to be married and how to treat another person. I'm so glad for what he learned about that when he was in the relationship with you. And when we handle things the way God tells us to, there's not all this baggage and destruction and harm. But when we disregard what God says, we have pain and sorrow. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. helpful. All things are lawful, but I will not be dominated by anything. You know, uh, when you look at pornographic statistics, um, one in three people who visit porn web websites are women. Sometimes we think sexual immor immorality is like a male thing. No. Every time somebody has an affair, every time somebody is dating somebody and sexual immorality happens, I mean, that, that involves everybody in that process. And, and those things are enslaving. Like they got Alcoholics Anonymous, but they got stuff for people who are addicted to sex. Um, there's the, the number one day for pornography, by the way, is Sunday. Uh, when they do pastor's conferences, sometimes they look at, like, what kind of porn videos get rented on times like that. Like, it, it is such an incredible, one in 12 websites is a pornographic website. The number of searches for that, people are so addicted. People's lives are destroyed. They're so ruled by their passion. You'll have couples that are married and, and they just start hanging out with somebody they shouldn't be hanging out with. They start having conversations that they shouldn't be having. And next thing you know, they can't control the desires of their flesh. And then they end up being sexually immoral. And the next day they wake up and think, man, what did I just do to my marriage? And what did I just do to my kids? And why did I do that? And it's because sexual sin is enslaving. If you are an alcoholic, you can quit going to a bar. But if you are sexually immoral and if you have sexual sin struggles in your life, how do you get away from yourself? How do you get away from people? Paul says, don't plant these seeds. You need to avoid this. You need to run from it. Do not cultivate appetites that will enslave you. That's what Paul's saying here. Um, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 5. The Bible's not quiet about this. By the way, read Proverbs 5 through 7. Like, actually, the, all three chapters. Uh, the beginning of chapter 6 covers some other things, but 5 through 7 is about sexual purity. Um, I'm just going to read 5 to you. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion that your lips may guard knowledge. 
For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not uh, ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. Ever seen sexually immoral people that are not ashamed of it? They love it. They think it's a wonderful thing in their life. No, it's destructive. It destroys people, and there's people who don't know it. You know, this is phrased, uh, Psalm is writing to his sons. And so that's the reason that this is phrased the way it is. But this is not like women are evil and these bad sexual people and men just need to stay away from them. This is not a gender-specific instruction. It's phrased this way because Solomon's talking to his sons. But this is true of immoral men, and there are plenty of men who their goal is to go uh, trap somebody and go get someone to, to, to be sexually immoral. And so there are men who are predators. There are women who are predators. This is for everybody. And then it goes on, and it says, verse 7, And now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Let strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed And you say, how I hated discipline, my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembly of the congregation. And so he just says, this is destructive. It is going to destroy you. You need to stay away from it. And it looks so good. But in the end, it is so bad. I'm just going to tell you. I've seen so many people whose marriages and families have been destroyed because they didn't pay attention to this. And I've seen people at the end of their life, I've seen people that God had the intention to bless them greatly and the possibility of uh, uh, blessing them greatly. And because they didn't deal with this issue in their life, they are groaning. I just want you to know that is us when we ignore God about this issue. And then he says something else. And this is really, I should not read this passage. I should save this for chapter 7, but I'm going to read it anyway. (laughs) He says, I hope I don't offend you by reading this. This was a rule in our family. We never filtered scripture. I don't care how old my kids were. We didn't skip stories about God wiping people out and drowning people. A three-year-old needs to know you disregard God like he drowns people. And so we just read through the Bible, and we explained whatever happened in it. When we read about sexual things, we talked about those sexual things. We didn't shy away from anything Scripture said, ever. Never filtered that from our kids. But I just got to tell you, I feel the the temptation to filter it from all of you, but I just figure (laughs) if I could say it to my three-year-old kids, I guess I should be able to say it to you. Let me just read this. It says, drink water from your own cistern. Flowing water from your own well, should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving deer, a graceful doe, 
Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a foreign woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders his paths. The iniquities of the wicked will ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he's led astray. This is for chapter 7, but I just want to tell you, if you are married... You have an obligation to have a good sex life. If you are married, you have an obligation to that, that like, you know, infatuation that you used to feel when you were dating somebody and you just wanted to go to school because there was some girl there that you liked. Like, we get married and we get comfortable with each other. But it's not okay for us as a married couple to just let passion go out of our life. Like, he's telling his kids, stay away from strangers, but always be intoxicated with the love and the affection and passion that you have for your wife. It is an obligation for Christians to have this area in their life be good. And there's a whole lot of things that we could say about that. There's a lot of reasons that we struggle. But God said it, right? So we should take that to heart. Here's the third thing. Sexual sin is not what God intended. Um... Uh, it says, food is meant for the stomach, the stomach for food. God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God, will ra- and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. This is an eternal perspective. He's saying there's more to life than just what's happening in this moment. God has a bigger purpose for your life. And So he just brings that here, like Colossians chapter 3. Read the whole chapter. But it just says, If you then have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And then he goes on and he says, Don't set your minds on the things of this earth and get rid of all the lust and passion and all that stuff in your life and live for the Lord. Now I want to just say something that when we think about the fact that this issue, this issue is not an earthly issue, this issue, impacts our spirit our spiritual perspective impacts this and i want to tell you something jesus says and this definitely relates to struggles on the internet and it's, it relates to everything else too and it's kind of weird what people do with this passage but i want to read it to you and i want us to think about the emphasis of it jesus says this you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery but i say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with a lustful intent, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And then Jesus is going to say, you need to get radical about this. Like, I've talked to people who are blowing it on the Internet. (laughs) I've said, get rid of the Internet. (laughs) And they say things like, I I love that. Like, we're hearing the Bible being read. It's because somebody is tapping on their Bible and started reading. I just want you guys to know that's all okay. At least it's not like some other thing. We know you had your Bible app open. <laughs> that's awesome. Nothing wrong with that. Um, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Like, my kids struggled on the Internet because they would try to register for school, but this Internet block wouldn't let them register for school. It was like this constant, man, Dad, this stuff you, they didn't say stuff. Well, they said stuff, but 
They were so frustrated. This stuff's making our life miserable because it's so hard. It blocks pages that aren't supposed to be blocked, and I have to come over there and deal with it. It was so inconvenient. I'm just telling you, so inconvenient. But I just decided I'm going to do everything I can to not have my kids as an 18-year-old leaving my house addicted to pornography. And I used to tell them, if you fail your classes, that is way better than having this Internet issue. And Jesus just says, do whatever you need to do to address this. And we need to take it seriously, and we need to be aggressive toward it. Here's the fourth fourth thing. Um, This, if you don't understand why people should be sexually pure, this should get your attention. It says this in uh, verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written that two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Like picture what Jesus is saying. So we're all the collectively, we are the body of Christ, right? That's 1 Corinthians 12, 12, that we're all the body of Christ. That's why we call the church the body of Christ. And we all are, like Paul uses this analogy in 12 through 14, that, you know, some are an ear, some are an eye. You know, so we're all, in a sense, a part of the body of Christ. But if you thought about this, your body is Christ's body. Your arm is Christ's arm. Your feet are Christ's feet. This passage is saying that you are Christ's body. Now, if Jesus came here, if Jesus himself returned and he was standing here, would we go find a prostitute and say, okay, Jesus, you and the prostitute have sec- commit sexual immorality. Would we do that? Like, that is so shocking and appalling. Like, that's unthinkable. Paul just goes, never. And yet you have Christians who say, is this really a big deal? I mean, it's a big deal. It's unthinkable for a person who has a relationship with the Lord to be sexually immoral. Okay, let's go back to last week. I'm a Christian, and I'm going to move in with my girlfriend or boyfriend that I'm not married to. Well, we love the Lord, and that's all cool, and it's not what we really want them to do, but they're Christians. Really? Like, did we read what the Bible said about this? Like, when, if a Christian blows it, they're going to repent. They're going to confess. They're going to they're gonna go find some friends and say, man, this is terrible. What can I do? What do I need to adjust, adjust in my life to stop this from happening? They don't say, let's go sign a contract and rent a house and move in together. That's not what Christians do because our bodies are the bodies of Christ, and it's unthinkable for a Christian to commit sexual immorality. That's why when David did it, he couldn't sleep. He says, night and day your hand was heavy upon me. My body was wasting away as in the fever heat of summer. It's because he was a, a believer, and he committed sexual immorality, and it overwhelmed him by his guilt. And that's what happens to Christians. And so we think about that, and it's kind of crazy because I've heard Christians actually like be unable to articulate why sexual 
uh, sexual purity or impurity or sexual purity is important. Why we should honor the Lord in these areas of our life. We shouldn't be confused about articulating it. We should think rightly about it. But if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in your life. And the Holy Spirit convicts of sin and guilt and drives us to the cross to say, God, I need forgiveness. And so it's unthinkable that that would happen. You know, sex is something that God intended for marriage to join people together. Paul right here actually quotes Genesis. The two become one flesh. God made sex for marriage. It joins people in a unique way. It's hard to actually even comprehend what that is. But that is actually something that God intends for marriage. That, that we have this thing, sex, that draws us together, that helps us love each other, that helps us serve each other. So, sex is not the kind of thing that you watch on the Internet. That is not what God intends. People are not animals. People do not treat another person in a way that you are here to gratify me. You're not really, you're not a person. You are an object that I use to gratify myself. And that's part of the problem with watching things online is it completely shifts what God's intention is. God's intention is that in marriage, sex, we love, we serve, we care for each other. And actually, there's a lot of people that they have relational conflicts and then they're not having sex. And I just want to throw this out there. Uh, we'll get this in 1 Corinthians 7. But sex is to be a part of your marriage and it should not rise and fall with whether or not you're in a fight. That's one of the things that God intends to just be one of those things. Hey, I may be in a fight, but I'm still married. I may be frustrated about something that happened, but I'm still committed to, to Michelle and her well-being. She is still committed to me and my well-being. And that does not rise and fall with whatever like disagreements we have to happen to be having. And Paul just says that God made this for marriage, and don't join yourself to somebody who's not a believer. Don't take something that God intends for your marriage and connect yourself with someone else that you're not supposed to be connected with. You know, sexual immorality, it creates distance, a lack of personal in intimacy. And I want you to think about this. When you read the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, the deeds of the flesh are all relationally bad. Anger, dissension, disputes, hostility, slander. Like that's all the deeds of the flesh. You see that stuff in yourself or in someone else? That's the flesh. You want to know what else is the deed of the flesh? Sexual immorality, impurity. So here's what people say. I love you so much. We love each other so much. We can't stay apart. Well, you're not married. That's the deeds of the flesh. You want to know what the deeds of the flesh look like after married? It's all the hostility, the dissension, the bitterness, the anger, the fits of rage. People who can't keep themselves apart before they're married can't stay together after they're married. And people wonder, man, we were so close. We had such a great sex life. Everything was going so great. Then we got married. Now all we do is fight. Well, why? You encourage the flesh. Like, think about what the flesh looks like. Because the fruit of the Spirit before you're married means you stay away from people. But the fruit of the Spirit after you're married means you are connected and you are loving each other. And before you're married, it's a sin to have sex. 
after you're married, it's a sin not to have sex. Michelle and I used to always joke with all our friends. And when we were engaged, we just said, we're going to, we're going to like really be more spiritual than everybody else. So we're going to abstain from sex until a year after we're married. You know, we'll start on our first anniversary. You know, we used to joke around with all of our friends. But one of my friends said, I'd have to confront you because you, you'd be in total sin if you did that. So we don't do it because our body belongs to Christ. And we don't do it because it's actually a sin against our own body. Hey, we're on five. That's pretty good. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin that a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. So you engage in, you engage in sexual immorality. You are sinning against whoever you're sleeping with. You are sinning against their future spouse. And you are sinning against yourself. And you are sinning against God. Every time somebody commits sexual immorality, there's at least four. And here's the other thing. You're sinning against your future spouse. So that's five. Um, Sexual immorality doesn't hurt anybody. Baloney, you just sinned against five people. And so we need to flee it. We're sinning against our own body. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 says, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a person sows, that he will reap. The one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. You are sinning against yourself And we need to flee that. We cannot create that kind of an addiction in our life because you can't get away from yourself. And when you plant these seeds of immorality, they go with you wherever you go. And one of the things that I've prayed for myself and that other people have prayed is, God, pull out the weeds that I put in my own life. Take these thoughts that constantly flood my mind. Take my memories of things that I should have never seen, experiences that I should have never had. God, take those things out of my mind. And that's an appropriate thing for us to to pray. But often we struggle because we've sinned against ourselves by putting these things in us. And then we have greater temptations. What Joseph do, right? Potiphar's wife going after him day after day. Finally, she grabs a hold of him, and he runs out the door, and she grabs his coat, and he just pulls his arms out, runs off, and she has his coat. That's how we need to be with sexual immorality, running away from it. Um, here's six. It defiles God's temple. It defiles God's temple. Hebrews says this, no creature's hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Since then we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. We're afraid because God sees everything and he knows everything, but we're comforted because of Christ. Let me just say something to you about your body being a temple of the Holy Spirit. So only the priest could enter the Holy of Holies. By the way, that's why you need to read the Old Testament. If you read the Old Testament and you think about the temple and then Paul says, your body's a temple, that means so much more. Because when they, were, when they had the temple of the Holy of Holies, only the high priest could go in there once a year. One time, this guy brings a Gentile into this temple court area, and one of the Israelites grabs a spear, runs over, and kills them both. Like you'd think, hey, dude, that's murder. And God says, that was a good thing. Reward that guy and his family because he had zeal for my holiness. Uh, When they were making the temple, they had to, whatever they were going to do with stones, they had to do somewhere else because there could be no noise. 
while they were building the temple. Now imagine that. Somebody builds a building and there can be no noise. You can't run a saw. You cannot use a hammer. Like the, the holiness that they used uh, in regard to the temple. When, when they're giving the Ten Commandments and God's up on the mountain, he says, make a fence around the mountain and there's smoke and thunder. And he says, make sure nobody comes close because if they break through to me, I'm going to kill them all. And you think about, okay, that's God's presence. Think about Isaiah 6, right? Um, he's caught up into the presence of God, and he sees God, and he's like, oh, my goodness, it's amazing. He's like, like these angels, you know, wings on their eyes and on their feet, and then two, they're flying. It's just like he sees God's holiness, and he says, woe is me, I'm undone, because I'm a sinful man. And then an angel comes and purifies him. The idea of going to a temple of God and, and doing something sinful. What they, what they did to the Jews when they destroyed the temple, they took pigs that Jews weren't supposed to eat and they sacrificed them on the altar to defile it. When you engage in sexual immorality, you are doing that to God's temple. And we think, oh, hey, what's the big deal? Like, this is like old stuff for some other time, and we can't articulate that sexual immorality is wrong, and we can't train our kids to think about it, and when we see people engaged in sexual immorality, we think it's no big deal. And we go, what? I mean, yeah, they're sexually immoral, but, but they're still Christians. I mean, they live that out as the pattern of their life. They have no sense of guilt, but, but they're still Christians. We have not thought about what the Bible says about this. Here's the seventh thing. It's because you don't own you. God does that. My body, my choice? No. It's God's body, God's choice. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. So, everything I said today is super important. It is powerful. We believe it. We don't shy away from it. We wholeheartedly live this. We speak this to people. We see a brother or sister in Christ wandering towards sexual immorality. Everybody comes around, gets involved, and tries to save them. We don't just go, well, I don't want to hurt their feelings. While we watch, if you think somebody's a believer, you should be in a panic if you see them going this way. We don't just sit around and ignore it and be casual toward it. And this is what I want us to all know here. Um, If you've blown it, last week's message is so powerful because it says, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That is not you anymore. You are a new creature. There is restoration and forgiveness no matter what. It does not mean that there are not consequences. One of the things I think about, Michelle came to know the Lord as an adult selling cars in a Ford dealership. One time she was sharing her testimony, and and, and she had a life that was not a Christian life. And I remember her standing in front of a group of college girls and just saying, my life right now is as though I grew up in church. And then I think about the fact that I grew up in church and squandered that. Um, You know, I've said on occasion that I've done really bad things in my life, and they are really bad, really bad consequences. But in my mind, (laughs) the things I want to delete have to do with this area of life. Like, I don't don't think of 
um, violence. I feel bad about the violence in my past. I feel bad about things I stole in my past. But when I, when I wake up and, and, and I think about my life, those aren't the things I want to delete. I want to delete the sexual sins in my life. And that's the thing that's awesome is that God's grace and mercy is trans and his transformation is available to everybody no matter what. And sometimes in life we have scars, but that only makes us love Jesus more. It only makes us long for heaven more. It only gives us a greater desire to help other people. One of the reasons that I'm so passionate about helping my kids not be sexually immoral and helping other people I minister not be sexually immoral is because I know what that does to a person. And I hear so many people th say things like, how can I tell my kids not to because I did it? What? Tell your kids not to because you did it. You know what this means. And that's the amazing thing is that because of Jesus, we are not overwhelmed by our past. We are not defined by our past. And that's what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper. I don't care what's going on in your life. I don't care if you blew it last night. I don't care what kind of struggles you are having. Having In Christ, there is forgiveness and there is freedom. And that is what we celebrate right now. We should not take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way. So don't take the Lord's Supper in a minute if you have unrepentant sin in your life. If you're committed to living in a rebellion against God, don't do it. But you right now can confess your sin, ask God for forgiveness. You are white as snow. If you blew it last night, go take communion today. Get right with the Lord right now. I'm going to read that passage and then we're going to pray. This is Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. Now they were eating. This is the Last Supper. And Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples. And he said, take and eat. This is my body. And then he took the cup when he had given thanks, and he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus dies on the cross for our sins. Everything you and I have ever done wrong was put on Christ. And we receive the forgiveness because we put our faith in him. That's what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper. And so we have um, tables in the front and back. And I would just invite you. I'm going to pray. And then you can just get up, go and get the elements, take it when you're ready. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for your kindness, your grace, your forgiveness. Lord, help us to reject the lies of the world. Lord, help us to think biblically. Help us to think the way you have instructed us to think. God, help us to live righteously and holy. Because, Lord, that blesses us. Because that brings your favor. And, Lord, when we blow it, I am so thankful that we are not defined by our sin. We are defined by the work of Christ. Lord, such were some of those Corinthians and such were some of us. But we were washed and we were sanctified. Um, in the name of your son, God, we thank you for that. In your name, amen.